From the Society of American Archivists Student Chapter at the University of Alabama, this is Archives and Communities, a podcast highlighting community archiving initiatives and the people behind them. Hello, my name is Lara Daly. Today, I am excited to speak with Zoe Pulley, a designer based in Rhode Island and founder of the Black Joy Archive, a community repository designed to reflect on the joy felt by the Black community. I have been inspired by Zoe's creative talent and passion for representing her community as our first non-traditionally trained archivist guest. Zoe is currently pursuing an MFA in graphic design from Rhode Island School of Design as a Society of Presidential Fellowship recipient. She was inspired to start this archive as a way to counter the narrative of trauma, which is often used to portray the Black community by providing a forum for healing and positivity that reflects more of the whole life experience of Black individuals. A big part of Black joy is demystifying this whole concept of like the way the Black experience is generally, um, generally dictated. And by showing pictures of the Black family, which is a whole other subsect that American culture has made us believe is not, not, um, not really existent in a way, it's not prevalent. To show that, again, it's another act of resistance. And um, I think that's why so many people on that project chose to show familial images because families joy. Zoe begins the interview by describing her career path as a designer and some side projects inspired by her family, including a jewelry line named after her grandmother, DIY book binding, and the Black Joy Archive. Uh, my name is Zoe Pulley. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey originally uh, and ended up moving to Richmond, Virginia, where I went for undergrad, Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, from there, lived in New York for a few years, and currently I'm residing in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, you know, some would call me a designer <laughs> by trade, um, but uh, I worked in apparel design uh, for my day job. Uh, before coming to Providence, Rhode Island to attend RISD, Rhode Island School of Design for grad school. Um, I started here last last summer. <laughs> yeah, just completed my first year in the graphic design MFA program here. Um, and uh, my little small flex is that uh, I am actually part of uh, RISD Society of Presidential Fellows. Um, so that was one of the big reasons why I ended up coming to this school. Um, since joining the community here in Providence and RISD, um, of course, I've been able to uh, get involved with different community groups here that are working on different sort of, I guess, uh, design and art focused projects, community based projects. Um, but still, you know, just have only dipped my toes in it due to COVID and what's been going on uh, for our last year and a half. So definitely looking forward to getting more immersed in the overall community. Um, that Providence has to offer. Um, and then I guess just to speak a little bit about my design practice, as I was saying previously, I studied um, apparel design and I did work in apparel design in New York. I was doing primarily active wear, um, but outside of my day job, I've always kind of held like a steady personal practice that's varied in a few different hats. So um, I was really into I call it bookmaking, some say zine making, just like DIY sort of publication design, um, as well as jewelry design. Um, I actually have a company called Grand Sands, which um, 
kind of ties back to this whole other narrative with my grandmother that I started in 2017. Um, and then other sort of collaborative, uh, collaborative things with friends and new friends and just whomever wants to work together. So um, yeah, kind of always dabbled in a few different things um, design wise or in my personal practice, um, just to, I guess, uh, get to the first part of the question talking about my career, I can dive a little bit more into that. Uh, as I said, I worked in apparel design, which, you know, uh, I keep, I'm very, uh, I'm very explicit about calling it apparel versus fashion, because I was working in the side that was a lot more, um, you know, your, for lack of a better term, I was working in like fast fashion sort of realm. So uh, very much in like your everyday sort of clothing area. Um, but enough about that. I did that for four years um, and then decided, hey, everything that I'm kind of doing outside of my day job, the jewelry making, the bookmaking, experimenting with textiles, which is kind of something I've always played around with as well, um, kind of fits into this hat of graphic design or like this sort of graphic language. Um, especially with like a big passion, as I said, I, I like, I've always liked DIY publication sort of making. So I was really interested in kind of having the space to explore that more. So two years ago, I remember I was like kind of feeling fed up with uh, my current day-to-day -day work. And I was speaking to my dad and he was like, hey, maybe it's time to apply to grad school. Um, and since I have such amazing supportive par parents, shout out to Brett and Stacy. Um, <laughs> They, or my dad um, was kind of the person who like planted the seed of, oh, how about you apply to some graphic design programs? So um, I ended up applying to three schools. I was uh, blessed enough to be able to have three choices, three great choices to pick from and um, landed at RISD. Um, and yeah, now I'm currently, uh, I am a full-time grad student, but outside of my grad work, I have started um, some other projects simultaneously. One in particular, which is the reason why I'm here today, is Black Joy Archive, um, which started last summer. When asked what community archiving means to her, Zoe emphasizes being in tune with the community that you are working to preserve. Yeah, community archiving. You know, I've never really thought of that term, uh, like collectively, but when I process it now, to me, that really just means being in tune with the people that you live with and experience a community with, right? So when it comes to community archiving, there's a responsibility, of course, that's inherent to being respectful to those people that you live with. Um, whether you want to be um, actively engaged with said subsect or, uh, you know, more passive, however you might be in the community, you're a part of it. So to me, when it comes to the archive, there's definitely been a history of being able to be the latter of what I was just saying, where it's, you know, you're the outsider or like not being totally engaged with the community in which you're actually choosing to create an archive for, um, at least. Um, and let me just clarify as well, I'm not an archivist by any means from my explanation of my past, you guys can hear I'm a designer. But being someone who's always just been very interested in history and personally my um, familial history and archiving in that sort of sense, um, 
I just know from experiences of going into white cubes, going into museum spaces, seeing archive collections, not having access to certain archive collections um, for certain institutional reasons, I, it's easy to see the ways in which the archive can sometimes be more self-serving than community serving. Um, so with that, community archiving to me means being truly not only a part of a community in which you're working to preserve, but um, also remembering that there's a responsibility there that you are serving that community and being a voice for said preservation in the right way. Zoe then describes what started the Black Joy Archive and the inspiration behind her archival vision, including giving back to the community with DIY book sales. So this project, uh, the inception came out of George Floyd's uh, murder last year. Um, and really just kind of like accumulation of the murders that we all saw um, in the beginning of 2020. Um, and uh, essentially I, as a black person, black identifying female, uh, began to feel the feeling that I feel like a lot of other POC people were experiencing at the time, which was just like a complete heavy weight of just the constant trauma in which um, black people are asked to deal with and reckon with time and time again. Um, this is not a new narrative whatsoever, but with that, that little piece of like helplessness, helplessness that I was feeling in that moment, I just wanted to create something that would allow my community, um, my community being defined as people within my circle, my friends, my families, this is the initial idea for the project, uh, being able to have space to really uh, have some sort of reprieve, have some sort of outlook to be able to um, not center on the trauma experience, but be able to have a space to actually uh, kind of therapize some of these very, very hard feelings that we're having to be able to remember the light and the beautifulness that <laughs> Uh, the black experience and and the human experiences, right? Like not to pull that cart, but like the black experience is so solely rooted in the American lexicon as one of trauma. And we're constantly, constantly inundated with these images of like black trauma. So being able to create a space for my community to be able to have an outlet, outlet to really like express the other facets of black experience, of their black experience felt really important. Um, so with that, like I was saying initially, I was like, okay, family, friends, but then um, social media, beautiful thing. I was just like, okay, I'm going to post this on Instagram, a call for uh, friends, family, whomever to submit images of their black joy, their black joy being defined as whatever they want it to be. Um, it could be, um, it could have as much um, writing attuned with the actual images that they submit as well was completely up to the contributor. Um, and initially I was thinking that this would be something that mostly my friends and my family would participate in, but it ended up uh, spreading wider outside of those circles, which was fantastic. And um, in the end, the end being over the course of a month, um, we were able to collect, or I was able, I always speak in teams, but it, it, it is actually um, myself uh, currently running the project, but I was able to collect um, over 500 images from, I wanna say 64 contributors, 64 or 65, apologies if I'm getting that number wrong. 
And um, all of those images were then uh, digitally archived onto a website, blackjoyarchive.com. Um, and that's a whole other conversation piece. I felt like having the website be um, a piece of this archive was very, very important in its own sort of way. But then also selected images were uh, then included into a print book. So um, I ended up working with this great print shop out in Brooklyn, uh, Secret Rizzo Club, and uh, their team helped me uh, print 35 200-page uh, books, um, which were then hand-bound and sold. And all of the uh, all of the sales from the books were then uh, donated to three different organizations that are working towards Black liberation efforts. Uh, one in particular. Um, based in Richmond, Virginia, A Better Day Society, which is, um, as I mentioned before, I actually lived in Richmond for four years for undergrad. And um, yeah, just an organization that felt I had a personal connection with. So yeah, currently it's um, outside of the fantastic people who helped me with the book, as I mentioned, Secret Rizzo Club, and then the friends who've helped me with pho photography and videos and things like that um, to kind of just document the project. Um, currently, it's still myself doing all of the image collection and curating and um, archiving. So in an ideal world, I would love to be able to have this as an ongoing project like throughout the year, having open submissions, um, yeah, throughout the year. <laughs> but as of right now, my capacity, I'm planning to make this an annual project. So I'm actually about to have um, the second call for submissions this weekend, <laughs> um, in which we'll be asking for more folks who want to contribute and be part of this, like, because it, it really is a collective project. It's authored by everyone. Um, so whoever else is hoping to be a part of this, uh, this collaborative effort um, to join. And with that, then there'll be another print book, um, 35 copies again, um, that will then go to three other, or we'll figure it out, we'll see, but we'll go to some other uh, organizations that, you know, we could, we could help you help, um, help with their efforts, I guess. Our interview concludes with some thoughts on not being afraid to engage in unconventional archival work and the power of using your own experience to create meaningful collections and identify with a community. I feel like, you know, the simplest one is, you know, just, just get started. Um, don't get held back by the connotations of what an archive means. Um, I feel like most of us put the archive in this solely institutional space and it's all saying, and yeah, it's an access point to certain cultures, but at the same time, it's not super accessible at all times. So realizing that, you know, and again, I just want to say, because I don't want to offend anyone because archiving is like this beautiful profession that's so important. And I also realize that I am not by trade an archivist, but um, all of us to some extent, if we are collecting things, collecting images, collecting whatever, we are creating our own little mini archive. So just remember the power and like your own story, your own experience and not being afraid to like kind of extend that um, sentiment out to your community. Um, of course, I think it's also really important to 
recognize and know of the people who are doing this sort of work as well and recognize the people who are might be working or might have been working in similar spaces or like delivering similar messages. So of course, always reading and researching and knowing your histories and knowing the histories that you're referencing is super important as well. Um, and yeah, just like, just do the thing. Um, like, you know, uh, if you, if you're on Instagram, you're, you're creating an archive every day, um, when you post on Instagram to an extent. So don't be intimidated, just do it. Um, yeah. I've had a few friends who, when I began the project, they were like, oh, wow. So you've been doing this sort of thing since we were kids, like our sort of thing being always being very sentimental and uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess somewhat intentional when it comes to like preserving and learning about my family. Um, yeah, like I, as I mentioned um, in one of earlier questions um I started this jewelry land or jewelry jewelry line sorry <laughs> called Grand Sands which is um actually named after my grandmother her name's Sandra we call her Grand Sand for you know short enduring term whatever um but she's an artist and designer herself and um you know I'm very much like her in the sense that she's she worked in different mediums and different disciplines but one of them was jewelry and growing up, we would like make jewelry together. And in this interest of wanting to like continue this generational like narrative of making and being black female makers at that, I wanted to start this jewelry line. Um, and the jewelry line itself has um, featured a few different lines that um, direct or directly connect to some of the work that my grandstand did when she was younger, um, specifically like these macrame plant hangers, which um, she ended up making like this whole collection of them. And then I then took that and made this other collection. So with all that said, a little bit of a tangent, I've always been very much interested in not only learning my family's history, um, which is very much on both sides, paternal, maternal, deeply rooted in this country, um, but to also figuring out ways to like push that narrative further and like continue continue our narrative. Um, so now currently in grad school, that's something that I'm hoping to explore or, you know, just have more time to research and create work around this whole idea of like, what does a generational narrative look like? What does it mean? And all of that is gonna be through the process of archiving um, and some extent or like digging through archives and figuring out a new way to kind of uh, create work and display them. Um, so yeah, with all that said, I'm a cancer. It's cancer season. I'm very sentimental. <laughs> um, no, but I, I'm, I, I have always just had a very, very uh, keen interest in just learning about where I'm from um, and being part of a Black family in which, like I said, we've been in generationally in this country for a long time. Um, to me, it feels like a serious act of uh, resistance in a way that not only are we still existing and we're still here, but to like fight to preserve like our story and make space for it feels really important. I would like to thank Zoe for taking the time to meet with us and share the story behind her inspiring work. Submissions to the Black Joy Archive are welcome. 
and if you would like to contribute, please find the information listed below. Until next time, thanks for listening to Archives and Communities. This was an episode of Archives and Communities, the official podcast of the Society of American Archivists Student Chapter at the University of Alabama. Opinions expressed in this podcast are not reflective of a particular institution. Thank you for listening and join us again next time.